If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 11. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to, Matthew chapter 11. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Montgomery County and Loudoun and Prince William, as well as others online who are physically unable to be with us today. It's good to be together around God's Word. And I want to give you a little background behind why we're in Matthew chapter 11 instead of Mark, which is what we've been walking through every week for a while now. So a little over a week ago, when I was at high school camp with our teenagers, one of our rock leaders, one of our student leaders got sick, and at about 10 p.m. that Friday night, uh, they asked me if I'd be willing to preach the next morning on Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. So, of course, I was glad to do that, but that meant staying up most all night, just studying this verse, and I'm so glad, not that he got sick, but that I got to spend that time studying this verse because I was thinking about how it would apply to students the whole time I'm studying, and I got to the end and I realized, well, I hope it applies to them, but I needed that word. And as we progressed through this last week, a variety of things happened that I won't go into that led me to think, I want to share this word with our whole church family. So our original plan for today was to continue our journey through the book of Mark, specifically the next story in Mark 14 with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you want to listen to a sermon on that text, I know that Joe Carter, one of our pastors at our Arlington location, is preaching that text this morning. So feel free to go to the website this week and you can listen to it there. But I want to share from Matthew chapter 11, verse 30 this morning. And for students and leaders who were at high school camp, please forgive me for the repeat here. But let's be honest. You, it was a Saturday morning. You were up to like 3 a.m. the night before. You did not catch every word that was said that morning. So I'm trusting it it may not hurt for you to hear it one more time um, in a way that I'm convinced like this text is going to encourage us today in a way none of us had planned. So Matthew chapter 11. So students at camp, so I was at middle school camp yesterday, but both these camps have been studying all week long during these camps, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. So let me read the whole passage and then we'll hone in on the last verse, a verse that is breathtaking and life-changing. I can't wait to show it to you. But the context Jesus is speaking here to a crowd of people who are feeling heavy-hearted and weighed down by the burdens of life and even by burdens of religion, feeling the weight of trying to do this or that to please God. And Jesus says to them, I'll have it on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that mean? Well, if you're taking 
notes, which I would encourage you to do to really let this word soak in. Here's one truth that we're going to unsee, and I just want to unpack, that we're going to see, and I want to unpack phrase by phrase. Here it is. When faith is hard and burdens are heavy, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. So that's the truth we're going to unpack. Let's just let it soak in. When faith is hard, the context of this passage in Matthew 11 is fascinating and revealing. So Jesus is speaking, as I mentioned, to crowds who are feeling weighed down, not just in their lives, but in their faith by rules and regulations that religious leaders are piling on them. And then even before that, you go back to the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is talking about the greatest prophet ever, the man who Jesus called the greatest man ever born, John the Baptist. And John's faith was struggling. Look back up at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 with me. The Bible says, When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So see this. John had been thrown into prison. By now, he'd likely been there a while, and he was perplexed. And what's going on, and what is Jesus doing? He basically says, I believe that you're the Messiah. That's what the Christ means. I've been pointing people to you, but I'm starting to wonder, are you really the one or not? And I want you to think about this with me. This is so important because this is John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever, who's asking questions and struggling with doubt in his faith. And I point this out because sometimes we can think, well, if I have questions about my faith, or I struggle with doubts, then there's something wrong with me. Some might even think, if I have doubts, maybe I'm not even a Christian. But that's not true. Doubt is a part of everyone's faith journey. I can think of numerous conversations I have had with people I know who have walked with God for years, even decades, and they've hit points in their lives where they've said to me, even recently one conversation I was having, David, I'm struggling with my faith, or I'm struggling with doubt. I'm reminded of a quote from Alistair McGrath. He's a man with a brilliant mind who has debated all kinds of non-Christians about the truths of Christianity. And he once wrote, doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty, And then he contrasts doubt with unbelief. He says, unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It's a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. Likewise, John MacArthur pointed out how when the New Testament talks about doubt, whether you're talking about the Gospels or the Epistles, it primarily focuses on believers. That's very important. It's as if you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to be committed to it before you can begin to question it. So doubt is held up as the unique problem of the believer. 
Can I take that one step further? Not just believers, but pastors. Even Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, pastors in history, said some of us who have preached God's word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and of establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible have nevertheless been the subjects of the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we have preached. All this to say, faith can be hard. And doubt can be a part of the faith journey. Particularly when, like John the Baptist here, think about what was contributing to his doubt. You might write these things down. We think about faith that is hard, particularly in difficult situations that cause us to doubt. Here's John pointing people to Jesus and look at where it got him. Shame, hunger, physical torment, emotional struggles. Now he's sitting alone in prison. Difficult situations and unmet expectations. Remember what the Old Testament said about the Messiah? He will proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It doesn't feel like that was happening for John. And on top of that, most Jewish people thought that the Messiah would overthrow Roman rule. But the Romans were still oppressing the Jewish people at this point. And on top of all that, John had limited perception. In other words, he had all kinds of questions about why this or that was happening, and he didn't have an answer. And the reality is, we all experience doubts for these same reasons. When we encounter difficult situations, when life is hard at home, at school, with family, with friends, mental struggles, emotional struggles, relational struggles. Sometimes it feels like all the above. And unmet expectations, maybe we try trust in God for a little while, but it doesn't seem like anything's getting better. Or maybe things actually get worse. So we begin to doubt if God is even there or if he is there, if God actually cares. God, I thought, or even I think you're good, but I find myself immersed in or surrounded by what seems so bad. Why won't this struggle end? Which leads right into our limited perception. We don't understand why. It's why we ask that question a lot. And don't miss this picture here with John the Baptist. John had no idea how this story of Jesus the Messiah was going to play out. He had no idea. God was ushering in a totally different type of kingdom. There was more than just a political regime change. God was ushering in redemption for the entire world. But John didn't know that. His perspective was small. And we must remember, whenever we go through difficult situations with unmet expectations, and questions begin to rise within us. Is God real? Is God great? Is God good? Is God there? Does God care? We need to remember that our perspective is always limited. We have no idea all that God is doing. I was talking with someone just in between our gatherings today about 
the cutest little 18-month-old in the world named Mercy. And at the same time, we were talking about how we're still waiting to adopt our son from overseas. And we've been waiting for three and a half years. But even in that conversation, it was really clear, like, we had no idea what God was doing in the waiting to go get our son over here to provide this precious little girl in our family here. Like God has power to take that which is broken and hard and bring about beauty. The question that we struggle with, though, in the brokenness of the heart is why, and we don't always see why. Faith is hard. And as I was studying this passage in the middle of the night, it made me think about another passage before this in Matthew chapter 7. So you can turn back there in your Bible, or I'll put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But look at what Jesus said before this to his disciples in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Did you hear that? Jesus is saying in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy, which we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we get there, we also need to hear Jesus saying, the way is hard. The way of following Jesus is hard, which is why many people don't follow it. Only a relative few do. Why? Because it's hard. I'm just going to put a few more verses on the screen from the book of Matthew to show how hard following Jesus is. So in the chapter right before Matthew 11, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that's hard. <laughs> if you're a sheep, the last place you go wandering into is a pack of wolves. You have no defense mechanism. Your only response mechanism is to run, and you're slow. That's not good news. Like, oh, this is awesome. We're going to go in the middle of a pack of wolves like sheep. And it keeps going. So be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Beware of men. They will deliver you over to courts. They will flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Does that sound easy? No. Skip down to verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father is child. Children will rise up against parents, have them put to death. You will be hated by all by, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When, not if, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. That doesn't sound easy either. You jump down to verse 38, near the end of Matthew 10. So right before Matthew 11, Jesus says, Whoever does not take his cross, an instrument of torture and death, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Lose your life. That's not an easy way. Oh, we could keep going to the whole of Matthew, all the way up to the end and the verses that we quote to each other at the end of our worship gatherings. Let's, let's say it together. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Is making disciples easy? Is it easy for you to go into your workplace this week and share the gospel and lead people to become followers of Jesus? No. Is it easy to do that in your school? Is it easy to do that in this city, among the nations, to go to nations where it's difficult, if not dangerous, to make disciples? And then think about that, that phrase, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Think about all that Jesus commands us to do. One of the things we were talking about at camp with students, teenagers, in a sexually confused, sexually obsessed culture. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from all sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That is hard in this culture for teenagers and for adults. Along with so many other commands we could list right now from the Bible that go totally against the grain of our culture. Even what we studied a couple of weeks ago that summarizes in Mark chapter 12 all the commandments. Remember what Jesus said? Greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to love God with all we have and to love all our neighbors as ourselves. All this to say, are you convinced that faith is hard? And just in case you're not convinced, think about the passage we were planning to be in today, Mark chapter 14. Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing to the point of sweating blood, over obedience to the Father's will that's about to lead him to the cross. There is a very real sense in which faith was hard for Jesus himself in that moment. There are days, nights, seasons that sometimes last for a long time when faith is hard for all of us. And burdens are heavy. I trust I don't need to belabor this, but we all know how burdens in this world can weigh us down on so many levels, in so many ways. School, work, jobs, responsibilities, financial burdens, physical burdens like sickness, disease, pain, emotional burdens like anxiety, depression, obsessive thoughts, despair, relational burdens, and family, with friends, even religious burdens. Again, that's part of the context here in Matthew 11. People weighed down with thinking they're never doing enough. So many people live with an underlying, like a low, maybe even high level, guilt of sense of guilt or shame over things you've done in the past or your failure to do certain things in the present or not confidence in yourself as you look to the future. And if you weren't feeling burdened already, maybe now you are. But that's kind of the point. Burdens in this world are real and heavy and as a simple reminder, Jesus told us this would be the case. So we shouldn't be surprised. John 16, remember? Jesus said, in this world, you will, this is a promise, you will have tribulation. And he goes on to say, take heart, I've overcome the world. 
So that's the good news. But here's the bad news. You will have trials. So anyone who is surprised by trials, ongoing trials, trials that don't go away, is not reading the Bible. Jesus told us we would have tribulation, trial. We live in a fallen world. We're not perfect people. Nobody else is perfect. And the world isn't perfect, which means we will all have tribulation and the burdens will be heavy. Now, we're about to come to the good news. I promise we're about to get there. But I do want to pause here and point out the Bible doesn't gloss over the bad news. The Bible is not some fairy tale book that pretends everything is great in the world and life is stress-free and there's always a neat, tidy bow on everything. No, the Bible's making clear that life in this fallen world is hard. It's a mess many days. And not just life, but faith in a fallen world is hard. And burdens are real and painful and heavy to bear. But, so now here's the good news, that I pray you will hear and see and live in today. This is why I wanted to share this word with you today. Because when faith is hard and burdens are heavy, Jesus' yoke is easy. Some of you are already thinking, well, that sounds fantasy-like. How is that possible? And what does that even mean? Well, Jesus is using imagery here, starting in verse 28, saying, take my yoke upon me, of oxen who get into a yoke together for the purpose of carrying weight. And here's the deal. Look at this picture. So sometimes in a shared yoke, you might take an ox who is on the weaker side of things and put him in a yoke with an ox who's on the stronger side of things. So the strong ox can carry the load and the weaker ox can learn to follow and trust the stronger ox. So the illustration I gave at camp, so everybody at these camps was split into recreation teams and one of the team names was the Dwayne the Rock Johnson team. So I said to them, imagine getting into a yoke with this guy like, you're not going to say, Rock, I got this. I'll carry us. <laughs> N- you're not going to say that. You're going to say, Rock, I'm, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. And, and that's the picture Jesus is giving here, except Jesus is infinitely greater, infinitely stronger than Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I'm talking Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who spoke and the world came into being, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, saying to you, I'm inviting you to get in the yoke with me. Don't miss this, for me to carry your load. Jesus is not saying, hey, let's let's do this 50-50 arrangement. I'll pull my part, you pull yours. I'll help you, you help me. No, Jesus doesn't need your help. He's God. Jesus is saying, I will carry this weight with you and for you. In other words, you can't carry it on your own. Faith is hard. You can't do it on your own. Burdens in this world are heavy. You can't carry them on your own. So come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Get in the yoke with me.
And even this picture is not perfect because when you get in the yoke with Jesus, when you unite your life with him, you go all in with Jesus, he doesn't just come beside you. Jesus comes to live inside you. Listen to Colossians 1.27 later in the Bible. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ Jesus in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he goes on, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see this? Paul is toiling. He's struggling. Another time Paul uses this word toil is in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talks about being imprisoned and beaten with rods, often near death, stoned, shipwrecked three times, in danger from rivers, robbers, in danger from Jewish people and Gentile people, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul's saying, faith is hard, and my burdens are heavy. I'm toiling. I'm struggling. How? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. With all his energy inside me. Don't miss this. You might write this down. The yoke is easy for you when you have Jesus' supernatural power in you. This is life-changing to realize this. The yoke isn't easy because the way is easy. We've already seen that. The way is hard. Life and faith in a fallen world is hard. But everything changes when you come into the yoke with Jesus and you realize you don't have to do it on your own. You're in the yoke with Jesus and not just Jesus beside you, but Jesus inside you. So many professing Christians don't realize this. When you put your faith in Jesus, something wonderful happened. When you put your faith in Jesus, God forgave you of all your sin. And. So there's an and here. He didn't just forgive you of all your sin. God forgave you of all your sin and he filled you with his spirit. He put his Holy Spirit inside of you to comfort you, John 14, to strengthen you, Philippians chapter 4, to give you wisdom whenever you need it, James 1 and 3, to give you victory over temptation, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 10, to help you with doubts and questions that you struggle with. Just read entire Bible books like Job and Habakkuk filled with questions. Jesus empowers you to share the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, Acts chapter 1 and 2. In other words, you don't have to fight the fight of faith on your own. Jesus is in you to fight for you. You don't have to carry burdens alone. Jesus is in you, for you, saying at every moment, cast your cares on me because I do care for you. I care for you so much much that I put my Holy Spirit inside you. I don't just comfort you, I put the comforter inside you. 
I don't just give you wisdom. I put the spirit of wisdom inside you. I don't just give you help. I put the helper inside you. I don't just give you guidance. I put the guide in you. I put my strength in you. I put my hope in you. Follow this. Jesus does not guarantee that the way will get easier in this world. But he does guarantee you will have power that is beyond this world. No matter what this world brings. If you'll trust him, if you'll step into the yoke with him, the way will be hard, but his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. You gotta see this because, well, think about it. We just talked about how the commands of Jesus are hard. So if I, if you, if we get in the yoke with Jesus to follow his commands, well, how is that a light burden? That's a great question. And it leads us to this other verse later in the Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And based on this verse, I want you to see why, how Jesus' commands are not a burden. Think about this with me. Jesus' commands would be a heavy burden to us if one of two things were true, or if both of these things were true. First, Jesus' commands would be a heavy burden if you couldn't carry that burden. If I gave you 500 pounds of weight and said, hold this over your head for the next hour, that would be a heavy burden for you. Why? Because you wouldn't be able to do it. But we've already covered this when it comes to being in the yoke with Jesus. Jesus gives you supernatural power to carry out his commands. So that's one reason the burden is light, because you can actually do them all by the power of Jesus inside you. You can be pure in this world. You can share the gospel with this world. You can say no to sin. You can endure through suffering, because the one who conquered all sin and Satan and death itself is living in you. That makes this burden light. And then, so follow this, second, Jesus' commands would be a heavy burden if you didn't want to obey them. So even if you can, if you don't want to, it still feels like a burden. I said it at camp. How many of you, teenagers, know what it's like to receive a command from your parents to do something around the house that feels like a burden to you? And... It was uniform. 100% of them have experienced that. And the reality is 100% of all of us have. We've all been told to do stuff that we don't want to do. And it feels like a burden when that happens. So in a similar way, if God, if Jesus gives you commands that you don't want to do, then that will feel like a burden to you. But this is where 1 John chapter 5 is so, so, so important. So follow this. His commandments, the commandments of Jesus, are not a burden. Why? Because God is what? Love. 
And when we realize God is love, then we will realize his commands are light. They're not a burden. So maybe write this down, and then I, I want to illustrate it. So the burden is light for you when you realize how lovely Jesus is and how much he loves you. That's when the burden will be light. When you realize how lovely Jesus is and how much he loves you. So let me illustrate this by telling you about my relationship with the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife, Heather. So I want you to imagine her standing up here next to me right now. I told her that I would not embarrass her by bringing her up here and making her stand here while I say the things I'm about to say. But just imagine her right here. I remember the first time I ever saw her. I was uh, a rising junior in high school. She was a rising senior in high school. And she came to our church the week before our summer camp. I remember seeing her across the room. I remember what she was wearing. And that Sunday, a friend of hers who had invited her to church that day invited her to come to camp. And she came. And that week at camp, she met Jesus. And her life was totally changed. And she also met me. <laughs> Nowhere near as important as meeting Jesus, but pretty important to me. And I was afraid to talk to her. I never had a girlfriend, didn't know how to talk to girls. She graciously took the initiative to talk to me, and I fell for her. We started dating soon thereafter, and then I blew it. I got busy with other things and talking on the phone or trying to get together with her felt like a burden. So I broke up with her. Biggest mistake of my life. I was so dumb. But once I realized my mistake, I realized how lovely she is, how much I wanted to be with her. I started flirting with her in every way I could to get her back. And I would do anything she wanted me to do. I remember there was one particular uh, youth event we were at at church, and we were having pizza, because that's what you have at every youth event known <laughs> to man. And so uh, somehow, I don't even know how it happened, but she dared me to eat a whole large Papa John's pizza. And... I was like, okay. So I just started down in this thing. I brought the box back to her totally empty. I was like, look, I did it. And for some reason, that impressed her. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I remember in that moment, like, yes, my stomach was heavy, but the burden was not heavy. It was light. Like, as long as she was smiling, I was, it didn't matter what was in my stomach. Like, I was just so... That began a process where finally I won her over and uh, we started dating for the next four years through college and I would plan dates. I would write letters. This was before you could text or uh, yeah, send an email. So these pens and things called paper and you'd write down on it and send it to each other. 
I would give her gifts. We would hang out. And you know what? None of that was a heavy burden to me. And eventually, I asked her to marry me. So I'll show you a picture from that particular day where I stood with her in the front of a church building together, and we yoked our lives with each other. Like, talking about major commitment, like everything, till we die. We're committing our lives to each other. And you know what? It was not a heavy burden. And for the last 24 years, I've still planned dates, given gifts, written poems. And you know what? None of that's a burden to me. You know why? Because my wife is lovely. She's beautiful. And she loves me. And I love the way she loves me. There's like a whole song about that. Like, and, and marriage is not a heavy burden. It's light. Why? Because my wife is lovely. And she loves me. And I love her. I'm not like, uh, got to write a poem. Uh, what do I do? Uh, all right, let me try to turn one out. Like, no. <laughs> so now, make the parallel for a moment here. Imagine not Heather standing next to me, okay? My goal is not to make you sick with all of that. Just go with me here. Imagine now not Heather standing next to me. Imagine Jesus standing right next to me right now. As soon as I imagine this, I think, okay, my my wife is great, but Jesus, he's infinitely greater than she is. My wife is lovely, but Jesus... He is love. He defines love. He's perfect love. In a way that my wife, as great as she is, she could never be, not even close. He's God. And he loves me. He made me. He formed me in my mother's womb. He knows me inside and out which means he knows what is best for me, far better than I ever could. So when he tells me to do something, when I realize how lovely he is and how much he loves me, I don't hear what he's telling me to do as a heavy burden. I have to do this. No, I want to do this. And this changes everything. So many professing Christians, including many of you today, View Christianity as a list of burdensome commands to follow. Do this, avoid that, flee this, do that. And you don't really want to do many of those commands. They feel like burdens to you to be pure, to stop doing this or that in this world, to read the Bible, to get up and pray, to fast, to give sacrificially. But you think, I guess I should do them because I'm supposed to and I don't want to go to hell. But that is not biblical Christianity. That is cultural Christianity, and it is leaving so many of you completely empty and apathetic and emotionless in your faith. It's leaving you with a faith that feels like a burden to you. And this passage today is calling you and me to wake up and see how lovely Jesus is. 
He's infinitely better than anyone or anything, than everyone and everything in this world put together. And he loves you so much. Let it soak in right where you are sitting. He made you. He formed you. He knows you inside and out, which means he knows what is best for you. So when he tells you to do something, open your eyes and realize how lovely he is. Frankly, some of you, and I mean this in the kindest way possible, are like dumb David Platt breaking up with the most beautiful girl in the world. Not to compare Jesus to a teenage crush, but some of you are going through your lives with Jesus and his word right in front of you, and you're totally missing it. You're apathetic toward him, indifferent toward him. You come to church arms figuratively or maybe literally crossed, emotionless, doing this religious routine on Sundays here or there, and you desperately need to open your eyes and see the one who's in front of you, who's speaking to your heart right now. The God who is love loves you. And if you would realize... If you would realize how lovely he is and how much he loves you, then you will realize it is not a burden to obey him. It is a blessing. It is not a heavy burden to have to pray. You want to pray to get to talk with God? It's not a burden for me to have to talk to my wife. No, yes, I want to talk to my You get to talk to God who hears your prayers and responds to your prayers in his power and his wisdom and his love for you. It sounds like you have to read the word. Of course you want to. Like, I, I, I couldn't wait to get a letter from Heather. Like, why? Because I'm in a love relationship with her. We're in love relationship with God. He speaks to us. We want to know his word. Not just read it. We want to memorize it and soak it in and apply it to our lives. In a world that does not, to be clear, this world does not love you. This world has given you a million messages all week long that are trying to pull you away from this relationship with God. Promising that's going to be good for you. It's not. This is what you're made for. Relationship with the one who made you. So when you hear this world saying, hoard money for yourself, or live your life for yourself, or pursue sexual immorality in this way or that way, and Jesus is saying, pursue purity, and give sacrificially, and live radically, that doesn't Sound like a burden to you because you're radically in love with the one who's supremely lovely and who loves you like nobody else ever could. This changes everything about the Christian life, and I'm convinced many Christians are totally missing it. The burden of being with Jesus, following Jesus, is light. Why? Because he's infinitely lovely and he loves you infinitely. So do you see it now? When faith is hard and burdens are heavy, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it's breathtaking, life-changing truth. If you'll receive it. And then just make, make, make the connection here with where we landed last week. Stories of martyrs, men, women, teenagers who gave their lives for their faith. And many of us, many of you thought... I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could look into the eyes of my family or friends and be willingly burned at the stake. I talk about hard faith and a heavy burden. How could they do that? Here's how. They were in the yoke with Jesus. 
no matter what it cost, because they knew that the reward was worth it. They were not content to be cultural Christians. They were actually in the yoke with Christ. And just as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but yours be done, you're worthy of my life, they said, not my will, but yours be done. You're worthy of my life. And I pray that God will raise up a church full of teenagers and adults who say that no matter what it means, I'm in the yoke with you all the way, knowing the way will be hard and the burdens will be heavy. But this yoke will be easy because the supernatural power of Jesus will be in you. And this burden will be light because he is lovely and he loves me so much. So would you bow your heads with me all across this room and other locations? Just bow your heads, close your eyes just because I want to remove all the distractions for a moment. Just you and God. This invitation is for you. Jesus is saying to you right now, come into the yoke with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So I would just ask, well, first and foremost, are you in the yoke with Jesus? Have you united your life with Jesus? Have you put your trust in him to save you from all your sins, to lead your life? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you right now just to say, God, today I want to be in the yoke with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you've, you've been in church, you've done religious things, but, but faith has felt like a burden to do this, 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 this. And you've missed relationship with Jesus. It's not about what you can do. That's the whole point. It's about what Jesus has done for you and who he is. Just to say to him today, I want to be in the yoke with you, Jesus. I trust that you've died on the cross to pay the price for all my sins. And you've risen from the grave in victory over sin and death. You are Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me. Forgive me my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I want to live in the yoke with you. And when you pray that, and, and for all who have, just pray, God, keep us from missing the beauty of what it means to be in the yoke with you or to help us with a world where life and faith are hard and burdens are heavy. Help us to trust you. Your supernatural power inside of us Help us to live out of the overflow of love relationship with you. God, help us, for many of us today, to leave behind burdensome faith and to live in the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. You know, I want to I do one more thing before we, we finish this time in prayer. Something we often do at our prayer gatherings and sometimes on Sundays, but I know that it this room and another room is where we're gathered right now that 
Some of you are walking through things in life right now where faith feels particularly hard or the burdens feel particularly heavy. And I want us to have some time just to pray for you. And so in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would say, yeah, I'm walking through some things in my life, family, whatever it may be right now, and faith feels hard. Or I'm walking through some things, or I've got some heavy burdens. And I would love for some people just to pray for me. And I trust you know this is a totally safe place to do that. When you stand, you're not going to have to share everything that's going on with the people around you. It's just going to be you standing, then people are going to gather around you. You can tell them your name if you don't already know them, and then for them just to pray over you. And for us to do that at all the locations where I gather, and even for those of you who are watching online, if you're at home, feel free just to stand before God where you are. and We'll be praying for you. And so if that's you, if you would say, yeah, I'm walking through some things right now where their faith feels hard, life feels hard, burdens feel particularly heavy, then I want to invite you right now just to stand where you are, and then we're going to gather around and pray for you. So would you stand up all across this room? There you go. Like, and not just in this room, at MoCo, Loudon, Prince William. People are standing all across the room here in Tyson's. Feel free to join them and standing in other locations, or like I said, if you're just watching online. And don't, don't, don't think, well, I don't know if my burdens are as heavy as somebody else. Or if my, like, if you just say, I need an extra measure of grace, I need extra measure of strength right now, help right now for any kinds of burdens. Anybody else? See people still standing, so don't, don't hesitate. We want to be just church family. In a minute, we're going to gather around, just be the body of Christ to you. Just pray for you. All right. Anybody else? Thanks. Okay. I trust there are people standing in other locations as well. So everybody just kind of look up. You see people standing around you. So I want to make sure in just a moment, we're all going to stand. I just want to make sure everybody who stood has somebody gathered around them, just hand on their shoulder, and we're just going to begin to pray for them. Again, you guys who have stood, just feel free to share your name if, you, if they don't already know you. But just, and you can share briefly if there's something specific, but uh, no, zero pressure to. Just, uh, I just want us to pray for each other. And uh, so let's stand right now. Let's get around these who've stood in this room and other places. And so go ahead and gather around them right now. Just put hands on their shoulder and let's start praying out loud all at the same time. God hears all our voices at the same time. It's just a picture of us saying you're not alone. Jesus is with you, for you, and we are with you and for you. And so just start to pray for them right now. And then after you've prayed for a few minutes, then... I'll lead us here at Tyson's and other pastors at other locations will lead us in prayer for them. So go for it right now. Let's just start praying out loud for all these who've stood. Oh God, we praise you, our Father in heaven.
for hearing all these prayers, for inviting us to pray, to intercede for those who stood. God, you know them. You know what's going on in every one of their lives better than they even know what's going on. We pray that in this moment, they would feel your love for them. They would know they are not alone, that you are with them. For those who've put their trust in you, Jesus, they would know you are in them, that you have, they have supernatural power from your Holy Spirit inside of them right now. And we pray that they would, in our hands on their shoulders around them, that they would see that the body of Christ is with them and for them. And so we pray according to your word, according to your promises. We already looked at it. We know that we will have tribulation in this world, but we take heart today because you have overcome the world. So Jesus, we pray for your provision for them. You tell us in your word, you're a refuge and a strength and a very present help for those who are in trouble. Be their refuge, be their strength, be their ever-present help. We, we know in your word, you say that we don't have to be anxious about anything because there's a peace that passes all understanding that comes from you. So we pray for your peace to overcome any anxiety, worry. They would know that they're loved by you, that you are holding them, Psalm 37, 24, in your righteous right hand, that you are working, Romans 8, 28, all things together for their good, the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. God, please work all these things together for good in ways that we, we admit, God, we can't see, but we're going to trust you're working these things together for good. God, we pray for a healing in all kinds of ways that is, healing is needed. We pray for your help in all kinds of ways your help is needed. We pray for wisdom in all kinds of ways that your wisdom is needed. Just like you promised to give wisdom to those who ask and trust, don't doubt that you give your wisdom freely, that you give your peace to all who keep their minds stayed on you, Isaiah 26. We pray for supernatural peace for supernatural help, for supernatural comfort over those who are standing. And God, we, we pray that you would give them faith on days when faith is hard to come by, that you would help them, Philippians 4, to do all things through Christ who strengthens them, that you would help them to toil, even to struggle, Colossians 1.29, by your energy, your power working in them. And God, we can't wait for the day when faith won't be hard anymore and burdens won't be heavy anymore. We can't wait for the day when faith will be sight and you will take all our burdens and remove them forever. That there will be no more crying and no more pain, no more mourning, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering and no more death. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly and wipe every tear from our eyes bring an end to all sin, disease, and death. We can't wait for full and final redemption. So we pray, help us to hold on to hope and faith from this day until that. Knowing, knowing, knowing that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We love Matthew eleven thirty, and we praise you for this word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.